Welcome to Rooted and Unwavering, a podcast and radio show which features leaders from all walks of life in conversations about courageous connectedness. How do we stay connected to our best selves, especially when we are challenged? What becomes possible when we truly stay committed to our own and others' greatness, also when we don't feel it? Join host Hilke Faber, transformational coach, facilitator, and award-winning author of Taming Your Crocodiles, and his guests as they explore leadership greatness in today's episode of Rooted and Unwavering. Well, welcome to Rooted and Unwavering, broadcasting live from Phoenix Business Radio X, where we help leaders connect more deeply to their innate potential. I'm your host, Hilke Farber. This is our 15th episode, and I'm here today with Gaurav Bhathnagar. Gaurav, how are you today? Feeling amazing. 15th episode. Very cool, man. An honor to be here. And it's an honor to be with with Gaurav, who also told me that I can call him G-Man, which is one of my names for him when I talked to talked with him. I, I know Gaurav for the last, well, I think 11, 12 years or maybe even longer. And uh, Gaurav uh, comes with us with an amazing experience, which I will talk about in, in a moment. Uh, and also we'll go into a conversation in a moment. Uh, before I do that, I'm going to say a little bit more about this podcast, Ruth and Unwavering, so we get all centered in and gathered in the same place. So... Root and Unwavering is a series of conversations with leaders from all walks of life, and it's to help us to connect more deeply to who we truly aspire to be, that, that stillness, that depth inside of us, or that whatever that is for you, your values, something that uplifts you, that makes you feel taller on the inside. That's what we're aiming to connect to and live from and lead from. And we'd like to hear from many different people about their stories and what we can learn from them. I find that I'm often, uh, when in my, in my darker moments, lifted up when I think of somebody. It's like, ah, and Gaurav is one of these people. It's like, oh, no, no, there's another way here. Or also in my more beautiful moments, I feel like, oh, no, this is like what this other person said. So there's a resonance that happens when I'm together in the room with other people's stories. So today we're here with Gaurav or G-Man, full name, Gaurav Bhatnagar. He also has a middle name, Swarup. Uh, he is the founder of Co-Creation Partners. Co-Creation Partners uh, is focused on performance, performance and culture transformation in organizations and teams. Gaurav has been doing this work for the last 20 years, very, very diligently with deep dedication and commitment. I've had the honor and privilege to see him live in the room. I've actually learned a lot from him uh, in terms of how he facilitates and how he goes about it. And one thing that strikes me about Gaurav is his eyes. These, these eyes that have joy in them and they, they look at you from this very deep place that inspire you to go to another place that you may not have found in yourself if you hadn't been talking with him. And that's a, that's a huge gift. He's, he's been working with corporations, nonprofits all around the world, He's currently with us uh, from Stanford, Connecticut. He's also co-authored a book with his co-author, uh, Mark Manukas uh, from Lithuania. Uh, and this book is called Unfear. I'm going to show it for those of us who are online looking. It's a wonderful book. We're going to be actually looking at this book a little bit more. So Unfear is about transforming organizations to create biz breakthrough performance and not or well-being. So we'll talk a little bit more about that, how we connect to well-being and performance, that uh, 
paradoxical, paradoxical or, which may be an and. So Gorov, we're going to dive into the conversation, say a bit more about, well, connectedness. When, when you think yeah. about connectedness in your life, what have you been learning about connectedness in your life so far? So as Hilke, you know that I'm a bit of a troublemaker. So, but b- before I jump into connectedness, I do want to mention that you very kindly said I'm the founder of Co-Creation Partners. But actually, Co-Creation Partners is Co-Creation Partners because you were also part of the founding process. And it has been such an honor to have been, have had you in my life. And, and, and I'm so excited to be here. Connectedness. So for me, connectedness is a, it's a really profound idea. And I think it is also the place from where I found myself to be rooted, uh, which is basically that I have this fundamental belief that we are all uh, fundamentally consciousness, that we are all the same and express ourselves in different forms of waves through, through our individual egos. But ultimately, there is nothing different or disconnected between you and me or you, me and anything else. And therefore, connectedness is, is the ground state from which everything else emerges. And therefore, it is the essence of life. Now, you're saying that so clearly, and I can feel it as you say it, and I'm sure others can feel it also as you say it. Tell us a little bit about your journey to arrive at that knowing. So, you know, people assume that because, because I am uh, from India and from the East, that I probably have spirituality coming out of every pore of mine. And interestingly enough, growing up in India as, a, as part of a billion people, what I learned fundamentally was disconnection. And what I learned was that life was a competition and the way you succeed is by disconnecting and pushing other people down because there's, in a billion people, there's only very few people who are successful. My early part of my life was all about intensity and drive. And and I got to a point where I was, uh, I was burnt out, but I didn't know about it. I was completely in this mindset that the only way to be is to be burnt out and the only way to be is to be in disconnection and you know i i call that phase of my life being successful and unhappy mm-hmm. or unhappily successful um and then uh, interesting enough people you know people have different perceptions of this company called mckinsey and company but i was in south africa at mckinsey and company that office was not doing too well and there was this newfangled thing coming in from Australia around culture and mindset. And, you know, I was like totally cynical and I, you know, (laughs) I found my cynical friends and we were sitting in the back of the room and I was laughing at this woman who was in front of the room uh, because she was a British lady and her name was Geeta. And I told her, she's told everyone she's a fraud and, you know, her real name is Margaret and don't believe her and all of that stuff. And in the workshop, she got us to meditate. And I was rolling my eyes, but as I got into the meditation, I felt myself vibrate in a way that I'd never felt myself vibrate. Yeah, and it was, and, and even after the meditation stopped, I couldn't stop myself. And, and I went to her and said, what magic have you done? Black magic have you done to me? 
And she basically brought the energy down and she talked about something called the Kundalini, which is the life force and stuff like that. And I realized that all the beliefs that I'd carried up until that point were up for debate, certainly. And I said, I'm going to, for four months, I'm going to crack the code. I'm the son of a physicist. I'm going to crack the code, forget about all of this, and then I'll go on with my life. And the more I explored, the more I realized that there was such a different way of engaging with life when you are connected, when you are in connection. And it so profoundly impacted me that I said, this is all I want to do for the rest of my life. I want to help people connect with connection, connect with their potential, connect with this sense of infinite potential, and from there, create performance and well-being. And that's what I've been doing for the last 20 years. So I'm so struck by this last sentence also, and all the sentences that go before. The last sentence, consciousness, infinite potential, and performance, and well-being. So... In your book, Unfear, you talk a little bit about how when I know that, not arrogantly, but when I know that in my bones, mm-hmm. and you talk about that experience in South Africa, which, which sounds like was a remembering or recognition that happened, it gives you the freedom, you talked about this in the book, to face anything with greater ease. Mm-hmm. Can you say more about that? Because I can imagine people being in the midst of whatever's going on at work. Yeah. The being laid off or the difficult conversation needs to happen or beautiful aspiration, new project. I'm not quite sure how I'm going to do it. Uh, You just got maybe difficult feedback from somebody. In those moments, how does that operate from your perspective and experience? Yeah. So so the idea is... uh, the one level is very simple and on another level, it's a very difficult idea to grasp. And the idea to grasp is the following. Actually, there are many ideas, but this idea, I think, in this context is the most important idea. When we are feeling lack of well-being, what we are saying is we are exhausted. And the exhaustion doesn't happen because, because of us not having energy. It's because we, have, we are disconnecting ourselves from infinite energy. And then that limited energy that we have, we are, we are, we are, we are stuck in. So the, the counter idea, which is what the idea in unfair is, is the, the point is not to look for more energy from what we are separate, but to actually reconnect to source. Because it's not about trying to do more with the energy you have, which is what people say works smarter. No, that's not what it is about. It's about actually reconnecting with energy, which which is the ground source of all well-being. And and one of the tricks for that, just a very simple idea uh, on that, which is, I think, also related to connection, is in order to connect to that infinite energy, you need to get out of judgment. And not just judgment of things being bad, but also things being good. Because when you make things bad, good and bad, now you classify and lose energy or gain energy and you are dependent on external events for your joy versus joyfully experiencing those events. And then the only question you ask is, how can I be more effective in this situation? How can I contribute in this situation versus what is this situation doing to me? That is where well-being really sits. If you want it to be sustainable and continuous. Otherwise, you get in, stuck in this whole 
ping pong game of pain and pleasure. When you have something, you get pleasure. And when you don't have it, you feel pain. And then you go low and high. And that's, 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 a, that's because we've forgotten our essence. Somewhere in the book, you talk about how you learned from somebody in South Africa about letting go of assumptions. And one assumption we might hold is that judgment is a good thing. Right? I need to be able to know what's good and what's bad so I know to go towards the good and get away from the bad, simply put. And this person taught you from letting go of their assumptions because they were taught that as a white person, they were there to be supreme and rescuing the other folks in South Africa. He said something about letting go of assumptions without shame and blame. Can you say a bit more about that process? Because what you're speaking of grounding ourselves and connecting with the ground of consciousness, infinite being, and being in that place, it resonates deeply. And I can also hear people thinking, including myself, it's a daily question, how? Sure. So can you say a bit more about that how journey, including this piece, which I thought was so beautiful about letting go of the, the shame of shifting yeah. perspective? So let's start with shame and shame and guilt instead of blame. Let's talk about shame and guilt. So the, the, two, the two emotions that create greatest disconnection with energy are shame and guilt. Shame, if you think about it as an energy and an emotion, is when you, without anyone telling you, are feeling in disconnection with yourself and feeling feeling. Actually, I would say shame is when other people make you feel wrong. Guilt is when you feel wrong yourself. But both create disconnection and actually exhaust you. So what is the process of getting out of it? What is the process of reconnecting? The process of getting out of it and the process of reconnecting is something that we do all the time without realizing. It's, and, but the problem is because we don't realize, we don't. And you've, you've heard me talk about this all the, uh, in the past, Ilka. And, you know, and I often walk into workshops and one of the questions I ask, I say, is, I say, now I'm going to ask you the most difficult question ever in your life. And I say, do you have ever, do you have ever any thoughts or, or emotions inside your head? And not surprisingly, I'm sure if I ask you that question, Hilka, what would your response be? Do you ever, ever have any thoughts or emotions? Absolutely never. No, no, never, no, no, never. No, no. Yes, of, of course. course. Yeah. Of course you do, right? So then the question I ask is, how do you know you're having those thoughts or emotions? And then people look at me like I'm crazy and they say, what, what the hell are you talking about? And I say, you must be bipolar because you're having the thoughts, but you can also see yourself having thoughts. And people look at me like I'm crazy, but, but there's a real interesting thought in there. And the same with emotions, which is if you can notice yourself having thoughts, if you can notice yourself having emotions, then you're, you are bigger than your thoughts and you're bigger than your emotions. And if you're bigger than your thoughts and you're bigger than your emotions, then you can do something about your thoughts and your emotions. So the practice is to get much more aware of your noticing self versus your doing self. Because when you get in connection with your noticing self and mindfulness is basically the idea, right? You, you become mindful about everything and you can notice and ask yourself the question, this emotion that I'm feeling, this thought that I'm having, what is it beneficial? Is it helpful? Is it allowing me to be in connection with someone else? Is it making me judgmental? 
versus it being transparent. So you'd look through it as if it's reality. So it's about being mindful and getting onto a balcony from where you can notice yourself in your emotion and your thought. Because when you note, when you start doing that, you start recognizing you have exhaustion, you're not exhausted. You have anger, you're not angry. You procrastinate, you're not a procrastinator. You suddenly get away from labeling yourself as being stuck in a certain situation because you are bigger than the situation and you're bigger than the label. And that is what this is all about. It's about being able to notice because you are already consciousness. You are the playing field on which, you know, you are the director of your drama and you are an actor in your drama. So just operate from being a director. So as you think about and help people think about making that step from being in the drama of the thoughts and emotions to committing to the seat of the observer. Mm -hmm and the curiosity about that, how do you coach people and how do you coach yourself in those moments where the drama becomes very thick? You know, the, the, the emotions are running high, feelings are running high, things are happening around you, sometimes multiple things. I, and I'll just give you an example. About, about a year ago, the, the war in Ukraine started. I, as a Western European person, found myself like very absorbed, especially the first few weeks. I had to do pretty intense practice to not get lost. So say a bit more about that because it seems so easy to get lost and to stay lost. So there's 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 multiple elements to it, right? And so the, the, the experience that you're describing is probably a really big experience, but let's start with something smaller and then we can get to that point. Yeah. So the smallest experience is you 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 walk into your into into your office or you walk into your virtual space and you see that email that is a bit nasty and you get really worked up about it because someone's saying something which is completely unfair or someone's surprising you or whatever it is that you're that happens. And the and by the way, we as human beings are, are programmed to have that response. Because, you know, in spite of the fact that we are now as animals on top of the food chain, there's nothing physically about us that allows us to be on top of the food chain, which means that we needed to have very good mechanisms to protect ourselves from danger. And we are physiologically set up for boom, danger, adrenaline pumps into the system, and I get into my fight flight responses, right? I'm sure... Many of your guests have talked about that, Hilka. The only problem is that that mechanism was not meant for emotional survival. It was meant for physical survival. And it's still very useful for physical survival. Imagine in Ukraine, if you're not able to have those responses and there's a bomb coming at you or there's a tank coming at you, what would happen? But in an emotional situation where the email comes, you're not about to die. There's nothing going on, and yet you get emotionally tangled in and this whole chemical reaction happens. So in that moment, the first thing to do is to, is to notice in your body where do you have those early warning signs of something is about to go off in you. And we all have different places, right? And you and I have talked about it many times. And for me, for example, whenever I'm starting to get to that place, my left calf starts to tighten up for some strange, bizarre reason, right? 
And then what you have to do is you have to press the metaphorical pause, which is fundamentally about slowing that reaction down, either through breathing or there are five or six different things that you can do to slow that slow that down. Because that pause, without that pause, you can't get onto the balcony. Without that pause, you're already in, in it. And so the pause allows you to get onto to the balcony to say, is it helpful the way I'm responding or not, right? So that's in the moment, right? Now, beyond moments where there is something much more entrenched, then the next query as a coach, the, the query is, what are the patterns and the storylines that we are have, have been deeply entrenched in us that we can't even see that we are in? Which is basically, there's a beautiful statement which says, we don't see the world the way it is we see the world the way we are. And so the coaching work is about helping people see the patterns from which they see life and to understand that those patterns are our creation versus their reality. And then to ask again the query, is it helpful or isn't it helpful? Then we get to places, the conversation about Ukraine. So what is up, what is, what, and this this is a really controversial topic and I'll jump into it and then forgive me, I'll ask for forgiveness later. So what is our biggest problem with 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 Russia going into Ukraine? Any thoughts? I can tell you, as I've looked at my, from that balcony view at my own thinking, and I love that you brought that into focus, these patterns, right? Mm-hmm. For me, a very old story was activated, mm-hmm. which was the, cho- the story of the child who felt unsafe with the NATO and the Scud missiles and all that. And it was just like the thing that you never want to happen actually was happening in the mind, mm-hmm. even though it wasn't mm-hmm. happening. That was the scariest part about the whole thing in terms of the, the story that I started to see. I, I talked to somebody who was a guest previously on this, on this podcast, Valerie uh, Bimo from the Gates Foundation. She deals with emergencies every day, all day, 365 days a year. And she says, there's so many wars. Why, why are you so worked up about this one? Yeah. But ultimately, why we worked up is because we're saying the big bully is, is basically imposing his or her will on Ukraine, for no, which seems unreasonable. And why are they judging Ukraine to be bad and everything to be bad? And, and the interesting thing is, as we do that, we are in judgment of the people who are also doing the bad things. Mm-hmm. So the core of the problem is judgment. But we, we justify and rationalize our judgment as being okay while we judge the other person to be wrong. So we, we judge ourselves based on our intention, which is good, and we judge other people based on their behavior and make their intention wrong. My bigger conversation that I would like to invite people to get into is why are we all in judgment? Some And by the way, the, the more powerful someone is, the more dangerous their judgment is. So I get that. And yet, the core of the problem is judgment. Democrats and Republicans. You know, I, I meet many self-righteous Democrats. My wife is one, right? Uh, I meet many self-righteous Republicans. A lot of few of my friends are like that. But there is no listening that is happening because they're so writing off and making the other person wrong. So at the core, we... We are upset about someone making someone invalid and wrong, but we are making that person wrong. And somehow we feel that we are superior because of that. 
So speak more about this judgment that separates us. Where does it come from? Because it seems to be so much part of the water, so much, and, and increasingly so, it seems like. And from this conversation, you've made it so clear how much it separates us from the infinite consciousness. It creates our exhaustion and separation. So where does it come from? Does it have some use, you of might ask? It does. I think I think everything has use. Every emotion is, is useful, provided that you are using the emotion versus the emotion is using you. Mm-hmm. So I have no problem with judgment. But at the fundamental... And this is this is now goes to my belief about my spiritual tradition, right? Judgment comes because we believe there's a start and there's an end, and that we're all running a race, and ultimately that race will end. And the judgment is 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 a way of trying to get ahead in the race or finish whatever it is. If if we believe that, if we truly believe that we are consciousness and consciousness is always there, there is no. It doesn't, judgment is, is, is an irrelevant idea. It's just expressions up and down of waves, some big, some small, they come, they go, but you still remain. But if you are feeling yourself as this little constrained thing, then in order, then you have this idea, oh, I need to protect myself because I am not abundant, I'm limited. And therefore I have to judge the other to feel good about myself. What about the idea that you're already good? The fact that you're here means that you are special, that you are you are valid. You don't need validation. As we are about to go into a, a break, this, this idea of judgment separating us coming from this place of myopic understanding of self, which is separate, and allowing ourselves to stake the seat of the observer of the all, where... There's no beginning or end of this. There's no race. And that allows for us to hold emotions and thoughts much more lightly. Uh, I read somebody in your book that angels can fly because they take themselves lightly. My favorite quotation. Say a bit more about that before we take the break. Yeah, I think I love the idea. Angels fly because they take themselves lightly. There's this beautiful concept in all spiritual traditions of, of play. Play, people assume, think of play as being childish. Play is, is the idea that because you are already valid, you don't need to try and prove anything so you can enjoy everything you do. Play is joy. Can you engage with something with joy? That is what creates lightness and that lightness allows you to fly and soar. So be light in everything. You don't have to get so caught up. You're not proving anything to anyone. Thank You're you. already that which you want to be. <laughs> Thank you, Gaurav. That is, uh, that's also what I needed to hear today because that's definitely a program within me. Uh, and uh, So thank you for that. We're, we've been listening to Gaurav Bhatnagar, the co-author of Unfear, also founder and co-founder of Co-Creation Partners. They work very deeply with organizations on culture, transformation, performance, and well-being. And in this last half hour, Gorov has been telling us more about what's the place we're coming from. Is that the place of exhaustion, which is an indicator of us feeling separate and thinking that we're separate? Or are we coming from a place of infinite energy that is always here, that we are, and 
are we finding the wherewithal to seat ourselves there? And then at this last bit of the conversation, we talked a little bit about play and how that's not bad or frivolous, but actually part of the expression of what we are. So let's take a break now. And as we come back, we will explore this idea of play, especially more in, especially when we deal with challenging situations. You are listening to Rooted and Unwavering, presented by Growth Leaders Network, the leadership, team, and culture development company. If you would like to learn more about working on connectedness for yourself, your team, or organization, please contact Growth Leaders Network on LinkedIn. And now, back to the show. So welcome back to Rooted and Unwavering. We've been talking with Gaurav Bhatnagar from Co-Creation Partners, also co-author of Unfear. And we've been talking about the infinite uh, with Mr. G-Man, who will sometimes announce himself as troublemaker, as he did this morning also when he typed his first words in our chat. And now I understand after this first half hour how actually profound that is, how much depth that has when he says troublemaker, because we've been talking about play and how that's a reflection of who we are. So Gaurav, say a bit more about how do you connect to that playful energy, especially when people around you may be upset about something or something actually truly troubling might be happening, you know, like somebody doing something that's just off Mm -hmm. or somebody being hurt. How do you connect to that joyful, present place without using it as a spiritual bypass? Yeah, good question. I love that. Uh, So let's start by understanding that play is very serious business. Play is not frivolous business. What is play? Again, and we we started playing playing with it. And what is joy? Joy is not always smiling and laughing and and trivializing things. Joy and play is what I call detached engagement. You are not so caught up with fixing the world and fixing yourself that you can't see perspective. When someone is deeply troubled, someone who is truly joyful, someone who is in true play, is able to engage with it lightly rather than get caught up in their own emotion, either in judgment of someone or in support of someone, but is able to see what the situation needs and shows up appropriately without having a desperate need that it will get solved, right? It is it is to show up as appropriate with ease, so that you can you can do what 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 you think is best. And by the way, you doing what is best is not a definite necessity that the outcome is going to be effective because there's multiple factors in play, and you are not the only person in that. So play is not about the way we think about play, which is just laughing in and being being silly and foolish, which I love doing, but it is about not getting caught up in the trauma. I really like that distinction of detached engagement, which also reminds me of what you said before the break about the infinity, and this is not being erased with the beginning or end, so therefore there doesn't have to be a quote-unquote end result. The question that's in my mind as you're talking, and this is a question I ask myself often also, in that moment, like 
now we're present with somebody or something that's challenging. And we're human, so we get challenged. You know, fire still hurts. Uh, somebody dying still has an impact. Illness still hurts or things not going the way we thought still has an impact. You heard, I heard you say the little, the little very powerful question, reflecting on what's helpful here. Like what's helpful here? I remember it being said as seeing what's needing and needed and doing it, right? That. How do you connect to seeing or knowing what's helpful? And how do you know that it's helpful? Because I know that in those moments, part of me starts to doubt. Mm-hmm. Let's say more about that. So there's, you, you ask difficult questions, man. Do you know that? I'm detached, doing detached engagement with what's in front of me right now. <laughs> uh, so, so, so let let me let this takes us to the essence of the book unfair, yes. right? So, so we talk about in the book that the opposite of fear is not fearless. In fact, to be human is to experience fear, and you can replace fear with any other emotion. Quite honestly, unfair is the ability to reframe that emotion of fear in a way that you can see the learning and the opportunity in it. In every emotion, and it doesn't mean you have to do it immediately as it happens, but every emotion is telling you that there's something to learn. And it's about getting curious about what is that learning opportunity in that emotion. In fact, you know, in India, they talk about emotions as as nine juices of life. And they actually teach you that you can enjoy anger. You can enjoy sadness. You can enjoy hurt. You can enjoy fear. You you can enjoy every emotion when you get onto the balcony. And the idea is not enjoy as in you're laughing about it, but you can get onto the balcony and say, wow, I'm experiencing this emotion. Let me me stay in the fullness of the emotion and and get curious about why. What is, what, what, what is it teaching me here? What is it queuing for me? And when I do that, then the emotion doesn't hold me for too long. Because now I'm not judging the emotion. I'm enjoying it. I'm saying, yeah, this is great. I'm experiencing it. How wonderful I'm experiencing it because I need, I need this emotion because it's teaching me something. Death of someone in my family. My father passed away when I was in the U.S. and he vomited five liters of blood and he was gone. And I felt a profound emotion of, yeah, being fatherless, being, you know, suddenly almost like an orphan. And the beautiful, when I was able to engage with it in depth and really query it, it was, the learning in it was for for me to learn to step into my own self, into my own power. Doesn't mean that that emotion goes away, but that emotion becomes a path for something else. And to stay with that emotion. Don't judge yourself for that emotion. Don't judge other people for that emotion. Don't try and negate that emotion. You know, the work when, when the reason why emotions stay in the shadow is because we are taught that they are good or bad or right or wrong and all of that stuff. Right? I talked about guilt and shame being energy depleting. I didn't say that they are bad emotions, right? They're energy depleting emotions. And just notice all of that for it because you will then start learning what guilt and shame is teaching you. It's teaching you how to manage your energy. And there's a common refrain here. And it was one of the first things when I was starting to read this book, um, your book on fear. 
it very much like struck me. This is we're still in the Roman numerals, so we're in the introduction, right? It says, uh -huh. and usually we cannot see them because we're blinded by fear. This is a common feature of fear. It usually highlights where we need to grow. It highlights where we need to grow. So to me, there's a deep assumption in this book, which I think is a very beautiful assumption, which is growth and learning. Mm -hmm. Tell me more, where does that come from? Because I can imagine, and I've had moments myself in this form, where I'm like, ah, not growing today. I am not growing today. And why grow anyway? So fun. That's great. <laughs> if you don't feel like growing, don't grow. <laughs> right. I, I hear you. And and at the same time, Gaurav, I feel this deep reverence for growth as part of life. And I'd love for you to talk a bit more about your relationship with growth and learning, because it's so clear to me when I read the book that that's what you are so committed to. So so let's first start with, I think, in a very important point that you make, that I'm making an assumption that it's about growth, right? Um, and by the way, that's a, I would invite people to challenge that assumption, because the moment you challenge the assumption, you're already in growth. So I'm being sneaky here. <laughs> Mr. G-Man, right? yeah. <laughs> right? And by the way, there is there is no right answer. Mm -hmm. You know, the 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 Vedas and the Upanishads in Indian tradition, each and every one of them, they go profoundly deep into everything. I think I've told you this, right? They end with they all end with the same two words. Who knows? <laughs> So the point is that we are all living in story. And my sense is, just my sense, is that the reason why we are here is to learn to start developing more and more stories that allow us to show up in our many faceted ways versus be limited into something, one specific thing. That doesn't mean that you don't take a break and some days say, okay, I want to stay in my current facet. But the thing is, you know, you know this, Ilka, so well, which is, you know, if you choose, if you get, if you stay there, life has a way of making sure that you get out of it. <laughs> so, so it's okay. I mean, it's okay. And I mean, and the reason why learning is so important to me is because I do believe the Cherokee saying, which is, if you don't listen to the whispers, you will have to hear the screams. So I might as well listen to the whispers really get curious about what life is trying to teach me because otherwise anyway i'm going to hear a scream and when i hear the scream it's going to be super painful why why <laughs> you know why wait for that and i suspect that we were not put onto this in on this on this earth in this form to be vegetables otherwise we would be a vegetable i think the reason why we have been endowed with a brain in consciousness is because our brain creates stories and still creating stories is nothing but learning, Beautiful. right? You create a story around a car that needs gas to run and you use up all the resources and create lots of pollution. Then you create another story that can run on electricity and now you use up all the lithium. Then you create another story and you keep creating stories and through each story, it just keeps going on and on and on. 
evolving that's stories. How, that's how you move. I love that that we're we're here to experience different facets. And I'm hearing in that the gentle nudge or the hard kick from the universe saying, okay, off to the next facet and story so you can evolve into what I hear is a more integrated way of seeing and more perspective as you've seen more stories. Sure. And Hilka, you know this. Uh, is there only one Hilka? No. There are so many Hilkas. Mm-hmm. Hilka, who's in the studio just now doing this interview with me. Hilka, when he goes home. Hilka, when he shows up with a client. So you're already so many different facets. So why limit yourself? Explore those facets in its greatness and grandness and see what is possible and explore many, five others. To me, that is such a beautiful invitation. Like what facets can can we, can I explore today? And yeah. and what, did, what does that bring forth in us? I, I love that. Gaurav, I know that I've seen it. I, and at one of your stories in which you're really effective is in moving energy or helping to move energy or transform energy in complex systems, call them organizations. I've seen Mm -hmm. that being a story where G-Man is fantastic amongst many others. So can you say to us a little bit about how do you, how on earth do you talk about what we're talking about here, which we can be seen from many minds as esoteric, out there, not relevant. I got sales to make, expenses to cut, and quarters to make. How do you introduce this and how do you work with this, if you work with it, and I know you are, with organizations? How do you do that? Sure. So I think the starting point, uh, again, Ilka, you and I have discovered this together. The starting point that I tell leaders is Guys, if you're having, if you're getting the results that you that you want, please don't do anything. It's totally cool if you don't do anything. But if you're not getting those results, if you're not getting the things that you want, then you need to shift. And the first thing that most leaders will go to, which I again am quote completely okay with, is change the actions that you are currently doing. Change the strategy, change the organization structure, change this, change that bring lean and do uh, whatever it is, right? And if that shifts your performance and now you're happy, beautiful. But I tell them there will come a time when all these things will get you stuck and you still will not get the results or you'll get it up and then it'll go down. And come, let's have a conversation when you get to that point. Or if you're already very evolved like Hilka is, come to me when, when when you already are sensing that you know, this is this storyline that you are going down around changing actions is only going to go take you somewhere. And after that, you'll get stuck. Because once you've taken all the actions, the only place left to do, left to focus on is how you see things. Mm-hmm. Because the actions you take are based in how you see life. In fact, I tell a lot of leaders, if I speak to you and I understand your mindset, I can already tell you what strategy you're going to create, right? So for us, transformation is an inside-out journey. So it's, and by transformation is individuals transform, organizations don't transform. And when a critical mass of individuals transform, the organization transforms by itself. So what we do is we start with 
the beingness of key individuals that carry a lot of the energy in the organization. And often they're, they're not just the leaders in the, the formal leaders, there are a lot of informal leaders. From that beingness, once we've shifted that beingness, because now you see life differently, then we work on the doingness of, of these individuals, how they show up, how they behave, how they deal with emotion. Then we say, okay, now that you understand there's a different way of doing and being, now let's talk about how does that get expressed in a team and how do you not get stuck in right and wrong, but truly think about creating the jazz ensemble where when you go off note, that becomes the source for creating new music. And then we say, how do you bring all these teams together to create an organization where there's the right role modeling, right systems, right processes that allow this new way of thinking, that allows this you to lead to a new place in strategy, allows you to see that performance and well-being are not in contradiction. What systems and structures you create around this, these individuals being and doing these teams showing up differently so that you can encourage, enable, sustain. Beautiful. So that's that's the journey. That's and beautiful. it's a complex journey, but it starts with the individual and the I. Yes, yes. It starts with the individual. And then one of the last things that you said was and sustain. And as we're also getting towards the last part of this part of the story called podcast, we are going to take a look at, so so how do we sustain? Because experience looking around is that the mind can be very sticky. Emotions can be very sticky. Organizational patterns can be very sticky. So how do you help people? And, and what would you say to people who say, yeah, yeah, I, I did this. I had this great experience. I have this insight. Maybe I read this book. Maybe I read this great book on fear. And I understand now that Fear and other emotions are gateways to learning and not bad. And I go about my day. So, so how do I sustain? So I think the best idea is start the day by reading Unfair every day for 45 minutes. <laughs> I, I am supportive of that. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Uh, no, but most importantly, so the, the way you create stickiness is going through a process of choice and practice. So one of the things that the first six years of my work at co-creation and creating co-creation taught me was that we did not have ways of creating stickiness and creating habit and creating sustainability. So Paul, you, you talked about my co-author, Mark Minokas, who interestingly enough is a guy who does continuous improvement and lean manufacturing and all of that stuff. But when we started talking, we realized, oh my God, we are both about creating learning organizations. I come from a mindset perspective. He comes from a perspective of creating stickiness through routines. So the last part of the work is how do you create routines that allow people to be mindful? Mm. How do you create routines that allow people, not just individually, but collectively to engage in connectedness? Mark would call it value streaming, right? But it's basically the same thing. It's about how do you build a connected system and how do you practice a connected system? And what are the processes and routines you create that allow for people to practice again and again and again to create productive outcomes? And those practices and routines can be individual, can be team, or can be organization. 
And so for me, I was shocked because I, you know, for a long time I was into oh, all this technical stuff I don't buy into. It's a fundamental part of manifesting what you want to manifest, which is about how do you create stickiness through repetition? Because what is story, Hilke? Story is basically whatever you repeat to yourself and whatever you repeat and again and again becomes your story. So it's those routines that create the repetition. Mindfulness routines, uh, process routines. What is the numbers that you read every day? Routines. Mm-hmm. If you, all you read is the profit number, then all you'll focus is on profit, mm-hmm. right? Is there something else you need to look at? And what might that be in an organizational context? I love that. Yeah. Might there be something else than profit to look at every day? What would yeah. it be? What would you look at as a leader? But, but just on that, right? So performance management, for example, is a routine. Mm-hmm. So whatever performance management routine you, you do in your organization, that's what you're creating in the organization. In my view, performance management needs to dramatically enhance collective ownership versus individual, individual what, whatever you want to call it, hero worship. Organizations need to be thinking about not just about profit, but thinking about how do you create collective energy in the system? How do you create collective energy with the community you work in? Because that's how you create sustainability. By the way, Consciousness doesn't give a shit whether human beings die or not, right? It's just another expression. Because often we talk about sustainability from our selfish perspective of human beings. The planet will continue in some shape or form. We will perish, Mm -hmm. right? So instead of talking about the planet being a resource, how do organizations talk about we are part of the planet and therefore how do we contribute to the planet rather than think of it as a resource? How do we think about human beings not as a resource, but more as human beings are part of our collective creation process because that's what we are here for. Human beings are here as part of the collective creation, co-creation partners, uh, co-creation <laughs> process. I, I fell over my word there. Yes. So as we are getting towards the end of our conversation, Gaurav, what would you say to a person who's listening and their displays of, yes, this was very interesting. I loved it. And now what do I do? So my first thought is just be, just be silent. Be silent and see if you shut all the noise down, what happens. That's my first thought. But, but a simpler thought is honor and celebrate yourself. Because if you don't honor and celebrate yourself, you are consciousness. If you don't honor and celebrate yourself, then you, everything else becomes irrelevant. And reconnect with the fact that you are already everything that you want to be, and you don't need anyone else to tell you that. Because then you'll engage with play and with joy and with ease with people. As Ilka said, angels fly because they tell, take themselves lightly. Um, in fact, the book ends with another quote, which I don't know, Hilka, whether you got to that point, but it says, we met this guy in South Africa at the edge of a jungle and we talked to all of him about a book we're writing. And he said, fear is love that is forgotten itself. Fear that is, is my love. message. Fear is love. Thank you, Gora. Fear is love that has forgotten itself. Thank you for asking us to be silent for a moment, Gorov. Thank you for being with us today. Thank you all for listening. Uh, Thank you for this beautiful gathering today where we've been exploring a bit more about 
what is it like to take the seat of the observer to connect to what's infinite in us what really struck me were many things one thing that really struck with me was this idea of exhaustion that exhaustion comes from separate and separation and that energy is infinite and my job and our job is to help ourselves to reconnect with it if we choose to and I'm also reminded of the last thing you mentioned and consciousness is okay no matter what so thank you all for listening thank you again Gora for being with us and really enlightening us in unfearing us if you haven't listened uh, to or read unfear I highly recommend it as a practice or daily practice whatever you want to say to help you connect more deeply to your innate potential and that's also what we've been doing here in this podcast in two weeks we will be here again with two leaders from the Ukraine one is my colleague Olena Sergeva and the other one is Jarna uh, Kluchkovska uh, who is a senior communications leader in Ukraine and they will be sharing their stories about how to stay connected to values in the midst of hardship and challenge uh, every day. Uh, you've been listening to Rooted and Wavering. You can connect to us online also on LinkedIn and you can also uh, subscribe to this podcast on Spotify and Apple and other podcasts wherever you find your podcast. So you've been listening to Rooted and Wavering where we connect leaders in, of all kinds, which is everyone, to more, more deeply to their innate potential. And I'm your host, Holger Faber. See you next time. Thank you for joining us in today's episode of Rooted and Unwavering, leadership conversations about courageous connectedness, presented by the leadership development company, Growth Leaders Network. To learn more, subscribe to this podcast, connect with Growth Leaders Network, and Hilke Faber on LinkedIn, or read Hilke's award-winning book, Taming Your Crocodiles. Now take a moment and appreciate something that is great about you. Celebrate the gift that you are and enjoy connecting more deeply to your best self today. See you next time on Rooted and Unwavering.